In the shadows of the underworld of the podcasting community, there lies an avenging spirit that looks over all forms of cinema, even the ones that people would throw in the trash. It will avenge them. It will protect them. It will attack. This is Cinema Attack. Excuse me. That is right, Cinema Attackers. We are back with another episode. And we got a full crew here tonight. First up, we have the man, the myth, the legend, the creature feature teacher, Matt. What's going on, man? Not much. What's going on? It was just you and me and uh, Nikki last episode, but it was a good show. Good show. Yeah. Definitely talking about some Scream and some other films. Hell yeah. Incest babies, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely some incest babies. Yeah, but tonight we have the return of the man, the myth, the legend. He has his voice back finally. He doesn't sound like Christopher Lambert anymore. Dobby Doubles, what's going on? Return of the mech. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, I I so hate I missed the last show. Uh, Still ailing off the war cries, as you quoted on the last show, man. But uh, glad to be back, you know, nonetheless with one of my favorite directors, spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, and surprise, I actually kept us a surprise from the guys, too. We, we were originally, I should state this because this might turn into a roast of one of the other hosts of my other show. <laughs> but uh, we were supposed to have two guests on this episode. Mike said... Yeah, you know, maybe we should. Uh, I didn't do it. Maybe I did, but I didn't. Maybe it was a miscommunication. It was no miscommunication from my part. You should have fucking messaged me, Merriman. Fuck you. But anyways, (laughs) if you hear that laughter, because he knows how I roast him on our show, we have the man who survived Lamberto Bava's graveyard disturbance. The man who survived Sharknado and Birdemic. The man who survived Paul Gosari. We have Mr. Venom. Greetings and salutations, pizza lovers and black leather glove wearers. How the hell is everyone doing tonight? Dodging monkeys. (laughs) 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 Oh, Can't wait to talk about that at all. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh. 
But, uh, yeah, Venom, you know, this is, you know, I've been on Italian Horror Month on the 22 Shots. You've been on Italian Horror Month on the 22 Shots. It seemed like a good fit to get you on, like, a different type of show, Italian Horror Style. Exactly, yeah. I've, I've kind of gotten used to talking about Italian horror at least once every November. Um, and since the call didn't come down from the 22 Shots guys this year, uh, I'm glad that you kind of picked up their slack because, um, as I've said, year after year, Italian cinema is definitely one of my shallow points in my viewing over the years. And every time I get the opportunity to talk about Italian horror, I take that opportunity. And even though today we're talking about three movies that are kind of all-time favorites, not really anything new, it's still great to finally be able to talk about these because I've never been able to talk about any of these three films. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man. Uh you know, if the listeners do not know from the thumbnail and the sexy title of this episode, we are finally getting into one of the big Italian directors ever, and that is Dario Argento. Uh, you know, I was thinking about doing the Three Mothers trilogy, but I think we should get into that at a later date sometime, probably next year maybe. I wanted to do these movies because, honestly, you know, it's like, uh, movies that I love growing up. These are some of the ones that I've seen the most of his films, mm-hmm. ironically, over the years. And, you know, there's different things about them that uh, I love, and it also stars, they, all three of these films star his uh, late uh, ex-girlfriend, Daria Nicolodi, too, which, uh, uh, famous in her own right, uh, icon, you know, Mother of Agia Argento, uh, uh, the co-writer of Suspiria, you know, so we will be talking about her involvement. Big public figure in Italian horror in her own right. And uh, yeah, Deep Red, Tenebrae, and Phenomena. Uh, Very different movies. They have different ideas of Argento from the time periods they're made in. But they're very important movies in his filmography because they're usually, especially the first two we're going to talk about because Deep Red and Tenebrae actually came about after two flops that he did before each movie, which I'll bring up when we get to the movies. But, uh, yeah, it's exciting stuff, man. And uh, I know Dubby said, spoiler alert, Argento's your favorite director, right, Dub? Yeah, man, arguably my favorite. Uh, I will say the best horror director is possibly John Carpenter, in my opinion, overall, but he is by far my favorite. Um, I think it's a nice choice of movies. It's it's kind of his kind of oddball giallos. I mean, it's it's a stray away from the Animals trilogy. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see this pairing and what everybody's saying. Yeah, yeah, I could have went that route too into the Animals trilogy, but the thing is, especially when we get to Deep Red, I'll probably say it when we talk about it, it's everything that he did wrong with some of the Animal trilogy movies done right again. Exactly, exactly. You know, uh, which I do love those movies, don't get me wrong. 
but they're just more classic. I mean, yeah, he really goes. You know, you can see his creativity start to flourish during this era. So, yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Matt, what's your history with Argento? Have you seen these movies before? And uh, I've seen two out of the three. Oh, and, nice. Yep. One of them was the first time watched. And it took me a while to buy it, too. So I figured I'm also just buy it because I don't own it yet. And I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I did because it was fucking good when we get to, when we get to that one. Boom. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking I know which one that is from uh, our private chats. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Venom, you, you, you love Argento, as I can see from, you know, his classic period from what I'm hearing of the things you've seen. Mm-hmm. I am definitely a fan of 70s Argento. I think that his aesthetic in the 70s, um, you know, kind of like Dubby said, where, you know, he's he's finding his niche there in the mid 70s. And in the late 70s, he's basically he's found his groove and, you know, he knows exactly what he wants to make and he knows exactly the adventure that he wants to take the viewers on. And, you know, I just look at his late seventies, early eighties stuff as just some of the best stuff to come out of Italy. And what's funny too, is that Argento is not even a top three favorite Italian director for me. I am much more, I'm sure Derek knows I am much more a Fulci and a Bava as opposed to an Argento. Uh, Suspiria is a top 10 movie for me all time. There's no denying that, but I, I, over the course of an entire filmography, I would definitely say I'm more a Fulci and a Bava. Yeah, I, I'm more of a Fulci guy myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like a, even I'm not like, gonna throw those guys out though. Don't get me wrong. You know, I love, <laughs> yeah. love those guys. So. Yeah, especially when people are like, "Who's better, Argento or Fulci?" I'm like, "Well, Fulci never made fucking Dracula 3D." It, but it's like it's like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. It's like you know yeah. they're they're both fucking kicking ass in my opinion. But yeah, exactly. That's the way I try to look at these guys. You know, they all made kick ass movies. Absolutely. But when everyone's like, Argento's better. I'm like, have you seen Dracula 3D? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Mother of Tears? <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll yeah, we'll just not get into his later shit. But yeah, exactly. Well, I, I will hey, never say he's the best. It. I'll never say he's the best horror director. No. Yeah, even even <laughs> some of like the Fulci shit, like you know, like all critique it and shit. But yeah, I'm like, yeah, at least this isn't fucking Dracula 3D. <laughs> yeah. You always got that to fall back on. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like even Carpenter had the fucking award as his last movie. I'm like, at least make a, a good, you know. Right. Uh, at least he's banging out soundtracks for us. That's at least. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing else. Yeah, I want him to make one, like, end on a good fucking movie, though. <laughs> yes, I agree. Like, it's so sad that fucking Romero's last movie, Survival of the Dead. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, we'll get into, like, I have high hopes for his new, Argento's new movie. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Is it Sandman still, or what is it? No, it's like some black glasses or some fucking... It's like his return to Giallo. Giallo. Hell yeah. Yeah, you know right, how that goes. You knew he was doing the soundtrack too, Tub. I didn't know if you were following her or not. Oh, uh, Claudio? No. Daft Punk. Really? <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. I could be down. I'm being interested. That could be interesting. Yeah, Daft, Daft Punk meets Goblin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
get in touch with their dark side. They might be all right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited. You know, I'm kind of worried because Ajia is the main lead again. And she will be naked. We'll get into that later. But <laughs> she'll be raped. Oh, poor kid. She's not murdered like his wife, but like I said, we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or she's like a log in fucking the one of the movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? We'll get into it. But uh, yeah, man. Uh, you know, I always want to end this intro with "fuck Mike Merriman, fuck him hard." <laughs> Venom, tell your greatest Mike Merriman roast story real quick. Oh, God. Um, geez, right off the fly like that. I, I, I guess it would be one of the many Friday nights that he fell asleep on us, you know, after after spending a good hour or two getting people together, constantly saying, okay, let's get together. You know, let's have a Skype chat on Friday. It's been a while, blah, blah, blah. And then finally he gets like a half a dozen to a dozen people together and he doesn't show up for two hours and then falls asleep after a half hour. So yeah, that, that I mean, you know, just cause it's the most common, that's going to be the easiest one for me to fall back on. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite was of course, it's kind of the same thing where he did a Skype call and he's snoring like a motherfucker. And then Joey Colombo comes on and Joey's like, damn, he really fucking called me and he's fucking sleeping. It's like fucking three in the morning here. And then Joey leaves and then Mike wakes up. I wasn't sleeping. I was out doing the mm-hmm. And Joey comes back. You fucking lying motherfucker. <laughs> you were fucking sleeping. <laughs> oh so good yeah and the other one is the, the best is actually on youtube where he did one of those live streams of the 22 shots and his thumbnails is fucking head because he's sleeping <laughs> i never actually saw that i did hear about it though i think i think moods told me about it but yeah i never did quite see the thumbnail <laughs> oh it's hilarious it's like he's like the top of his bald head leaning <laughs> over his chair <laughs> not bad <laughs> uh, he probably sleeps when he picks movies for our show uh, he's definitely sleeping while he's watching them that's for sure definitely he's like yeah this is good this is pretty solid you know <laughs> uh we can always hold killer croc uh, above him hmm. yeah he'll never and, live that down and the classic shocker i had to get jeffrey x martin for that one oh god and he made that episode so entertaining for his just sheer hate of the film. Oh, God. God bless Jeffrey X. Martin. Oh, man. It was great. <laughs> Fucking, he called the girl, the, the ghost girlfriend, a pale care bear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah. Well, that's the end of our mic roast. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'll pop up again. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when we get to phenomena. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. But anyways, guys, like I said, Mike Merriman is the guy in Sleepers that plays handball with Jason Patrick. (laughs) Ouch! Harsh indictment. (laughs) Yeah, looks exactly like him. But anyways, uh, I think we should get right into these movies now. How does that say, guys? That's good. So, as everyone knows, 
Dubby has the distinct pleasure of actually doing Deep Red, the first movie of the night. So uh, we will be back right after this. Trailer time. to the most unnatural kind of death. Beyond shock. What was that? Beyond horror into total terror. Murder runs wild. Blood runs cold. Deep red. The conjecture is that an act of bloodshed was once committed in that house. first movie of the night and this of course is from 1975 uh profondo rosso aka the deep red hatchet murders aka deep red uh super simple synopsis as we expect from imdb and that is uh, a jazz pianist and a wisecracking journalist are pulled into a complex web of mystery after a former witnesses to the brutal murder of a psychic. So, yeah, that's that's the basic plot. But I think there's a lot more going on in this flick that we'll definitely delve into. Um, this is a movie that's just been kind of infamous to me. Um, I think I actually saw it the first time, like a rough uh even public domain possibly cut in one of those like hundred box sets, uh, deep red hatchet murders. 
and then of course you know finally getting blue underground's release of this and then now arrow and great releases this flick but uh, uh we got a couple different cuts of this flick of course the director's cut and the normal international cut that i guess we'll delve into our man derek knows the differences so let's start it off with derek uh you know what's your history and initial thoughts on deep red yeah for me i first seen like deep red under uh yeah it was the blue underground release where it's like uh the one that i i believe it's actually yeah the doll poster are I believe it's also the cut that's on Shutter, if I remember correctly. Uncensored English version slash international cut, I guess. Yeah. Where, yeah, I was just digging it from the music right off the bat. I was sucked into Goblin's oh, yeah. score. Uh, amazing score. And, you know, the thing I like about this is the two main leads. I love David Hemmings and Daria Nicolodi in this movie. I love their interactions with each other. It's probably one of the best Giallo interaction like duos ever mm-hmm. in general. I, I love that whole arm wrestling scene that they have later. It's so funny. That is great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just the whole suspense and mystery. And I, I don't want to get into it away because the first time I seen this movie, it floored me that the reveal happened earlier in the movie and then they reveal it again fucking so good that's one of the best parts of the movie is the use of images it's so good it's so fucking good and you know there's a little creepy fucking doll that kind of looks similar to a certain jigsaw doll which of course <laughs> yeah. uh, i know james wan is a huge fan of this movie <laughs> so he took some inspiration from this movie for Saw and his other fucking movies like Dead Silence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, with that yeah. scene. And that scene's creepy. And, you know, that, that fucking kill that happens after the doll comes out, I love how, you know, it's not like a knife stab. It's just a guy getting his fucking teeth crushed. <laughs> and it's like, oh, man. Oh. And it's brutal. It kind of reminds me of the scene that in the movie that actually we all talked about called Crimson Peak, where that guy gets killed in the sink. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, Deep Red, I love the mystery of it. I love how, uh, you know, because the best y'alls are usually outsiders of the actual, like, you know, police investigation, actually investigating stuff. And right. this one has two of the best, in my opinion. In that sense, and I love the Carlo character. It's a very complex character for the time, and uh, pretty much the differences that I would say about like the actual director's cut, the Italian cut of this movie, is they actually do kind of build a little bit more on Carlo because a lot of the scenes with him and David Hemmings in the movie uh, are actually extended in there, and I kind of like that because you can see they actually had like this friendship. It's kind of a little bit more built, and it's kind of more tragic in the sense when things happen later on in the movie. But, yeah, Deep Red. Uh, one of my favorite Argentos, I think it's hit probably one of his best giallos, in my opinion. You know, <laughs> I, love, yes. yeah. I love the three animal films. Uh, I love Tenebrae. But this is where he's like, this is... You know, those were like 
yeah, these are Giallo films. This is our Argento Giallo, and this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know where my, my southern gentleman manners are, but I should have introduced our guest first. Mr. Venom, what is your history and first thoughts on this? Uh, Deep Red, I discovered fairly early. It would have been very early 80s, like 81, 82, right around the, the boom of the VHS era. Um, and I was, I'm just like Derek. I was absolutely floored by this movie the first time I saw it. And I'm, I'm also like Derek in the sense that the, it's the first twist that actually stays with me longer than the second twist, like the actual reveal of the killer. That first twist really got me, man. When he, when he peels back that secret wall to find what's back there, it's like, oh shit. And you know, 12 year old me, you know, really didn't have the, uh, mental capacity to uh, properly process what I'm watching, but I knew even my 12 year old brain knew that this was shocking. And, um, but yeah, I, I gotta agree with Derek on this score. This is my favorite goblin score. I adore this score. Um, every single song on here is spectacular. Just a beautiful mix of like King Crimson, Black Sabbath. You've even got some jazz fusion in there in some of like in the very first song, uh, the opening theme. I, yeah, I can't speak enough about the spectacular score of this film. This film for me is all about score and gore. Yeah. Um, it's got it's got some beautiful gore. We still got that beautiful bright red orange blood that we got out of the 70s, you know, you know, out in the open, you know, very much at the forefront of this film. And some of the kills, like especially the the, the cleaver kill of the psychic with that goblin music playing in the gra- in the background makes it absolutely haunting. So yeah. This movie, and ultimately, as far as his giallos go, I, I, I'm right there with Derek. I think this might be my favorite one because what I'm noticing, and I hope I don't make any enemies with this next statement, but what I'm noticing is that I'm not as big a giallo fan as I thought I was. Like, I loved I love the basic concept of giallo. I love the murder mystery, the black gloved killer, usually a straight edge or a switchblade or something like that. I love the style of it, the cinematography, and remind me to get back to the cinematography, too. But, um, yeah, just the more giallos I watch, the more I realize that a lot of them are very slow paced and I'm not scared of slow burns by any stretch of the imagination. But when you watch, as I did uh, recently, when you watch deep red and then Tenebrae literally right after it, you see a lot of like the filmmaking techniques have gotten better. Like uh, Dario has become a better filmmaker, but in my opinion, his storytelling suffers a little bit. So, you know, he, he's getting more proficient with the camera and the editing machine and everything else. But when it comes to his storytelling, it, it's it, it's I, I find his earlier stories, you know, the deep reds and the Suspirias to be a lot more compelling for me personally. Obviously, this is a personal statement. Uh, I still find a lot of value in Argento's older stuff and, you know, which we'll get to, obviously. Um, but this movie really speaks to me like this is the Argento giallo that I consider like his masterwork. Maybe not his best film, but as far as a straight giallo, this this hits every mark for me. Score, beautiful women, um, you know, great yeah, bloody kills. Those. 
Uh, and ultimately, all most Italian horror films have beautiful women in it. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, Deep Red, you know, there, there's a couple of, I mean, the psychic in here is absolutely stunning. It's unfortunate she's the very first kill of the film, but uh, she's absolutely gorgeous. <coughs> but anyway, um, yeah, when it comes to Deep Red, this is a near flawless film for me. It's, it's, it's like maybe a half a step behind Suspiria as far as my personal love. But yeah, this is easily my favorite Argeri, uh, Argento uh, Jala. Yeah, man, can't argue with anything. Uh, touching back on the music notes, another thing, uh, he definitely hints at Pink Floyd with a lot of this. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that was actually... Argento's first inspiration was to have Pink Floyd do this soundtrack. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of interesting. So I think Goblin took a different technique as far as the overall approach. And it shows, man, it's a really rocking soundtrack. But yeah. mm-hmm. last but not least, the creature feature teacher. But go ahead. Go <laughs> ahead. Venom, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I, I, the only thing I was going to also mention was uh, the cinematography. I didn't actually... Yeah. Um, point that out but there are some shots in this film that are absolutely stunning uh the shot with carlo and marcus standing in front of that giant statue um talking early in the film right after the first murder has occurred and then when they reprise that shot later without carlo and marcus has that kind of aha moment where he figures out hey wait a minute there's something wrong that i wasn't thinking about earlier these shots are absolutely stunning they're yeah. they're wide the shots kills, man we'll, oh the we'll kills into, are yeah <laughs> like the fi- yeah, I mean that final shot on the uh, on the uh, what do you call it on the psychic, the final shot behind the head that drove her through the window. I mean that's a work of art. I don't care what you tell me. The way that shot is lit, the way it's composed, and even the angle from down at the street view. I mean that is a freaking work of art. And ultimately, throughout this entire film, there are multiple shots here that you know should be highlighted because they're just absolutely stunning shots so i just i wanted to make sure i i I didn't get through my general thoughts without uh pinpointing the cinematography because it needs to be uh highlighted here totally fair man (laughs) oh man creature feature man what's your thoughts okay oh this movie was awesome i've seen it several times and i remember the first time watching this movie uh, they're in a scene where uh, they the lady in the like kind of like in the window scene. He comes up, you get that mirror shot, and you get that face in the mirror for a quick second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a blooper at first, like ha, someone <laughs> got got set into the uh, the mirror. Someone didn't move out of the way, but then you, but then it actually plays later on. It like it dinged on me, like near the end. I'm going, oh shit. Bing, like the light bulb went off. I was like, oh, wow, that, that was really good play work. So then I made my wife watch it with me one night. I go, honey, if you want a good, almost like a murder mystery slash, it's like you got like Giallo movies. And she's like, what's Giallo? Like pretty much Italian slasher, gory movies with uh, detective work. You get that mystery involved. It's all this shit going on. She's like, all right. I go, we're starting off with Deep Red. <laughs> and... She loved it too. It was, it was great. Like the whole the dog, the blind guy with the dog, was incredible. Like I said, that hatchet scene was insane. Uh, the the cinematography was good. Uh, I definitely enjoyed it. And the the score was fantastic. 
if you guys never seen Deep Red, this one is a definitely must must own for sure. There's a lot of cool good kills in this movie. Damn. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. So so stylized, man. Just uh and I mean this movie combined with Black Christmas influenced Halloween. Like this is this is such an important movie in horror history, in my opinion. It's just, mm-hmm. it's the creepiest Giallo possibly ever made. It it really blurs the line between Giallo and just straight up horror. Fucking, I mean, I, we can just go on and on, man. There's there's so much good to be <laughs> oh. said about this film. Like, and uh, I, even I, I the main actor was in front of that back. one mirror with all the yeah. warped faces, kind of gave you that from beyond feel to it as well yeah mm-hmm. yeah the paintings dude there's yeah so the atmosphere the hanging dolls that are hanging by noose man and then the creepy doll riding around on a bike you got the i mean it's this creepy moment after creepy moment don't forget about the fucked up kid that fucking crucifies lizards yes dude the little <laughs> fucking girl dude <laughs> and her dad the, and the, and the future witch the shit yeah. out of her and you're like what the fuck is going played on? by uh nicoletta emily who's actually uh Famous uh, child Italian horror star. She's worked with tons of directors, including Mario Bava, uh, Massimo Dalmo. She later on, if you guys didn't know this, she's actually in Demons. She's the uh, hostess of the movie theater. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, with the green dress. Yeah, that's her. Grown yeah, up. Yeah, I knew. She, I was like, where is she from? Perfect. Yeah, because she's a, she actually Venom talked about her because she's actually the little girl from Who Saw Her Die that gets killed in the beginning. Oh yep yep yeah, yeah. it's a good movie. Yeah, she's in tons of shit. Yeah, yeah, I always recognize her. She's one of those like kid actors. Her and like the chick from like House by the Cemetery, the little yes. girl from that movie. <laughs> yeah, I see her in tons of movies and I'm like, oh shit, it's that chick from House by the Cemetery. You know. And you got the creepy soundtrack. The killer always plays. You know, he has these motif to his crime. La, 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 la. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking... It's so cool, though, man. Like, he has his signature theme song yeah. and shit. And, when, and we, the, when we actually get the explanation of the music and the scream, <laughs> I think that comes together so well. It, it just yeah. the, the way that they um, kind of stitched all the clues together that they've been giving us, that they've been peppering us with throughout the movie... The mm-hmm. way you know that it's all explained away at the end, it's it's there's nothing convenient about this plot at all. It's it's masterfully written, and you know, I, I I can't say enough good things about that. Like the entire third act, as we're getting all of our explanation, I'm furiously writing notes because I'm just so impressed with. How? Because I, I'm the kind of person that feels that a lot of the times in the third act, writers don't really know how to end their films, and they'll just come up with the most convenient plot points ever. And there's yeah. nothing convenient about this plot point. I mean, ab- about any plot in this film. It's it's you know it it is literally a web of mystery, as they say. It, it, to 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 borrow a terrible cliche, it's legitimately a complex web of mystery. And yeah. But like I said, the way that they wrap it up, it's just so beautiful. Um, I tend to get, like I said, I tend to get upset with very convenient endings where everything's wrapped up with a pretty bow and everybody goes along their separate ways and everybody's happy. But this movie, yeah, there's very little happy about this ending. And But just like I said, the masterful way that it's put together has always impressed me. Yeah, man, and the thing that, 
Dara Nicolonia's Gianna is like one of the strongest like female characters you would see in this movie because she's pulling this fucking dude out of fires and shit. <laughs> it's yeah. fucking nuts, you know. <laughs> and you she's know? funny and witty, man. Like, yeah. yep. This is probably her best character in any of her any of his yeah, films, it, really. Especially, especially when we kind of get to the next movie where she barely does anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, but. Uh, yeah, I love Gabriel Lafayette as Carlo too. He's a great actor. I remember him from Zeter. Uh, the, uh, he's a, you know, he's such a great, interesting character because, you know, you you don't really get a lot of like homosexual characters in these movies, and they kind of explore and it, it, they they kind of explore a little bit more in like the director's cut too, uh, where his relationship with his mom and shit like that, which plays really well into like the fucking actual thing that happens within the movie the reveal and shit mm-hmm. you know and uh quick fact actually the carlo's lover who uh you see when opened the door for david hemmings is actually played by a woman that's wearing like a fake mustache wow <laughs> oh shit i really thought that was a man wow. i was yeah. gonna say that they found an incredibly feminine man to play that but yeah mm-hmm. your information yeah. makes sense <laughs> yeah, and it, it's crazy because actually in Tenebrae, uh, the, the the lady with like the red shoes that's in like all the flashback scenes in that movie is actually a, a man. <laughs> <laughs> they wow. love their gender swaps, don't they? <laughs> yeah, so it, it's actually kind of cool because I look at these as mirror opposite things with the film and styles of both of them. And that's cool, like a little connection between both movies. But we'll get into that when we get into Tenebrae a little bit more. Nice. But yeah, man. Uh, the fucking reveal that fucking Carlo's mom's the fucking killer. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, though, because I, I love this ending. I really do. But then when you go back and think about some of the kills, it's like, how the hell did Carlo's mom overpower some of these young people? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I there well, are some where she hits work. them in the back of the head first. So those are forgivable. You know, you know, she's she's incapacitating them first. So that's OK. But there's other scenes where she's not incapacitating them first, but she's still able to overpower them. When you um, go it, it's a minor cycle. Gripe. You get superhuman strength. Um, you know, I've heard that and I, I guess I'll accept it because I've heard it so much over the years. But, you know, like I said, to see an elderly woman and to, you know, for her to be the killer in this film and then for me to believe that she's able to take out the people that she took out. There's a little bit of suspension of disbelief there. It's not necessarily a gripe so much as just one of those logic things that I bring into horror movies that I know I shouldn't, but I do anyway. So, hey man, so. hey man, the way she goes out, you have to fucking spend your disbelief for that because that necklace would have just fucking broke and not decapitate her. Yeah, yeah, strongest <laughs> necklace ever made, apparently. Elevator yeah. break it, cool no, nothing broke it. You know, and you, you know, and then you'd be like, "How did Gianna fucking carry Marcus all the way out of that house?" You know? Exactly. You know, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like small shit like that. I'm like, yeah, fuck it, it's a yeah, job. exactly. It's it, it's minor stuff. I, I bring it up because that's the kind of asshole I am. So yeah, Mary would be like, I don't know where it was. I don't know where I was when I was watching this. I think I wrote it, murders, dude. You know, I think uh, I wrote a song about to sleep now. Yeah, my, Mike's like fucking Ringo Starr and the fucking Dewey Cox story. I wrote a song about an octopus. 
Oh, man. We need to do Dukes one day. Oh, I love that movie. I love, rock, I love how this movie, movie. <laughs> I I love how this movie was very over the top with its villain deaths. Yeah, like they went, they went mm-hmm. very like, especially Carlo. Carlo getting dragged around the city oh, until he finally gets bashed against the whatever sidewalk or a pole. Yeah, that was. I'm sitting there like, holy shit. At the same time, at this point in the movie, if it's your first time watch, you think Carlo's the killer, so you don't feel bad at the time. At the time, it's almost cathartic. Like, yeah, fuck it, fuck that guy. And then you get the the second reveal, and it's like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> I mean. Ultimately, Carlo was still willing to kill Marcus to protect his mother, so he wasn't 100% innocent. But ultimately, he wasn't a murderer, so there's a little bit of sympathy there for him. Just a little. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fucking, uh, when the first time I seen this and that scene happened, I'm like, what the fuck? I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fucking... David Hemmings is Marcus, though. How how do you guys feel about him as a character? Man, that's a tough one because I I can't sit here and say that that was a stellar performance. He played a good kind of secret misogynist because you could tell, especially, you know, there's the arm wrestling scene. But even in other scenes, you can kind of tell that he, you know, views women as inferior. He even says so at one point. I think it was during that arm wrestling scene where he talks about women being the weaker sex or whatever. But it's like he does a really good job of coming off as schwarmy without being overt about it. You know, like Mm -hmm. he's not constantly saying gross things, but just the way that he carries himself around women, you can tell it's like, Oh God, get over yourself, dude. Uh, But so, so for whatever it's worth, he did an okay job, but it's hard for me to bust out and say, Oh, that was a great job. Stellar job. Like, you know, I, I like uh, Daria. I thought did a much better job with her performance, and especially Carlo. Like uh, to me, Carlo is the unsung hero as far as performances in this film. You know, because he just comes off as a drunk idiot early on, but then you realize he's much more than a drunk idiot later on. Yeah. And like I said, he's almost sympathetic. So yeah, Carlo definitely is the MVP of Deep Red. Yeah, and don't forget about the cop that just accepts some food. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, you know, yeah, he's he's a flawed character, David Hens, but I think that works well with like his interactions with Daria. More exactly, he 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 sets her up a lot. That's what I was kind of thinking of him. It's I a good dynamic. Like a, yeah, like a. Like I can see them like as a comedy duo in other movies, like exactly. You know, they play like like the Thin Men movies. If you ever seen those film noirs from like mm-hmm. the early like thirties, it's kind of like that in a sense. I can see that. Yeah, and he's an important figure to me, David Hemmings, in film in general, because mm-hmm. uh, he's also in the movie Blowout Up, which is kind of like the inspiration for Brian De Palma's Blowout. Ah. Uh, which is kind of like the another like some some Italian cinema. It's pretty fucking awesome if you haven't seen it, guys. Hmm. And and if you if you didn't know this, yeah, he 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 directed that Australian movie, The Survivor, that Severin put out about the plane. Matt, you seen that, right? Which one? The Survivor that Severin put out. Hmm. Oh yes, the one that's kind of like the Final Destination where the guy survives the plane crash. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that movie. Yep. 
Yeah, he directed that. Oh, okay. And he also, uh, he's the co-founder of Hemdale Studios Production Company. Oh. And Hemdale, if you didn't know this, was the company that produced The Terminator. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say he directed Running Scared, too. That was yeah. Cool. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And he's in Barbarella. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll forgive him for that. <laughs> yeah, he's the he's the naked angel boy. I was say he's the blind naked angel guy. Yeah, he is. <laughs> That's who he plays. That's wow. awesome. <laughs> he bangs but, Barbarella. Hell yeah, he does. As a bunch of the other guys do in that movie. <laughs> Fuck, I would bang Barbarella too. Jane Fonda was fucking hot as shit in that movie. Yeah, she was. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Gabriel so Lock. Let's get yeah. into ratings, man. Yeah, ratings. Yeah. Start us off, Derek. Uh, this movie's magnificent. Uh, it's one of my favorite Argento movies. Uh, I have no, you know, even like with the little flaws that it has, it doesn't take away from the overall experience of Deep Red for me. Exactly. 10 out of 10. I don't give a fuck. Fuck yeah. it. <laughs> Mr. Venom. All right. Well, I mean, I've already said that I agree with a lot of what's been said, specifically with Derek talking about, you know, one of Argento's best um, giallos. Um, I can't come in at a 10 on this one because uh, to me, Suspiria would be a 10 out of 10. Um, This one still has a lot of the same beats. I mean, it, it is... Uh, Giallo 101 for me, you know, the black love killer, the, the straight edge, uh, blah, 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 just everything about this, the score, the cinematography, even like some of the slower pacing in the second act that I brought up earlier, it might bring down some people's enjoyment of it. But if you really get into the performances and the story that's being laid out, I think you really see uh, the quality here, but despite me saying that this is probably my favorite Argento, um, a giallo, I think I'm still going to come in here conservatively with a 9 out of 10. Fair enough. Fair, fair. <laughs> Creature feature. Uh, <clears throat> this is one of my top tier giallos to watch. So much fun. I love the whole mystery to it. Again, good blood and guts. A lot of good shit going on. Uh, again, I give this one a 10 out of 10. Yes. So, yeah. I'm coming right at the same. I do agree. <laughs> the Spiria is a 10 out of 10, but this movie is a 10 out of 10 for other reasons. It's just the perfect giallo mm-hmm. uh, atmosphere. I mean, it's just a hard time finding flaws of this. I can maybe admit there is some slow pacing, some acting flaws, but it still comes off as one of the best horror films of all time. 10 out of 10. You know what that means? Play that fucking iron side dub. <laughs> All right. We're going to do it the scan away. I'm going to suck your brain dry. Everything you are is going to become me. You're going to be with me, Cameron, no matter what. After all, brothers should be close, don't you think? Good shit. Hell yeah. <laughs> now we're going to get into some John Saxon. <laughs> <laughs> John Saxon and his cheesy bald head with his hat. (laughs) Dario Nicolotti acting like a log. (laughs) And uh, some techno 
theme music. Hell yeah. So we'll be right back after uh, the trailer for Tenebrae when Matt introduces that movie. Be right back after that. Your books, Mr. Neal. The book deals with a murder committed with an old-fashioned open razor, right? This girl, too, was killed with a razor, and your book's pages stuffed into her mouth. Can I ask you something? If someone is killed with a Smith & Wesson revolver, do you go and interview the president of Smith & Wesson? Peter, Peter, you can't let me down now. We're within two days of making a deal. Please, stay just until Friday. My life is in danger. There's no deal in the world worth risking my life for. Listen, don't hang up. We have to talk. You told me how, Peter Neal. You and me together. We've just begun. Jesus. Now time. I'd never written that book. You don't mean that. I've made charts. I've tried building a plot the same way you have. I've tried to figure it out, but... I just have this hunch that something is missing. A tiny piece of the jigsaw. Somebody who should be dead is alive, or... Somebody who should be alive is already dead. Explain that. You know, there's a sentence in a Conan Doyle book. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. And I hope you enjoyed the trailer for our next film, Tenebrae, uh, pretty much from 1982. Uh, pretty much with this movie, it's based on Argento's, I guess he's had a pass with a stalker before. This is where he came up with this movie. Uh, pretty much Tenebrae follows a writer who arrives to Rome only to find somebody is using his novels as the inspiration of committing murder. 
as the death toll mounts. The police are never are ever baffled, and the writer becomes more closely linked to the case than is comfortable. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is my first time watch one. Oh, this nice. was. Uh, yeah. I remember thinking about. Oh, I do- I was going through all my giallos and whatnot. And I'm going. Wait a minute. I don't have Tenebrae. What the hell's wrong with me? This probably should be a must-own in the collection. So I figured, fuck it, I'll go buy it. And, of course, I did. And, of course, Derek says, we're doing this one. I'm like, perfect. Now I can watch this one and see how it, how this one was. I'll let you know how I feel at the end of this movie. So uh, I go, Venom, you're our guest. You can go first. All right. Well, this... This was definitely not a first time watch for me, but it, of the three films that we're talking about tonight, this is the one I've seen the least um, with Phenomena be, probably being the one I've seen the most uh, in my lifetime. Um, but yeah, watching this for what was basically a first time watch, because I probably haven't watched it in about 15 or so years, um, still had a really good time with it. But this movie really highlights the things I don't like about Giallo's, uh, you know, the slow pacing, especially in the second act where it's mostly police procedural or, you know, characters in the movie trying to figure out, you know, who the killer is, what their motivation might be, things like that. This is when I start to realize that Giallo's aren't as high on my, you know, subgenre list as I thought they previously were. But there's still a lot to enjoy in Tenebrae. We've got, you know, obviously we've got John Saxon acting like a creeper. Um, <laughs> once again, <laughs> once again, you've got um, a very uh, beautiful female cast throughout the film. You've got uh, the score in this one, though, not Goblin, correct? Right. This is not Goblin. Well, it's Goblin. There is Goblin. Oh, it's still it. it's still Goblin. OK. Because it, it didn't mention Goblin in the opening credits. It, where, it's it, three members of Goblin. I think one of the guys left. Claudio. Yeah. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, you could definitely tell that Goblin uh, did a lot of cocaine in the 80s because this score, <laughs> I mean, this score just feels like the 80s came all over it. It is just so synth-heavy. Um, to me, it just doesn't work as well as their more, you know, rock or hard rock sounding uh, scores. And yes, that could be me being biased as I am kind of a heavy metal fan. But just as I'm watching this movie, there's multiple scenes where I, I just don't feel like the music really fits what I'm watching. It's almost a little too upbeat. Um I feel like um, Phenomena also has that in a couple of scenes, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, overall, I mean, I still really... You know, I really, really do like this film a lot. It's very stylish. Um, you know, I like the look of the mansion. You know, well, yeah, of the you know the house that everything is underneath, right? I'm not confusing my movies, am I? Um, uh, let's see. As I look through my notes here, um, this movie, <laughs> this movie feels like it's angry at women. I, I know this is a kind of a common theme with Jalos, uh, at least that critics kind of say. I don't really always see that um, Jalos as ultra misogynistic, but this one very much came off that way. It just felt, especially after the, like, the third or fourth kill of yet another beautiful woman, it just felt like someone in this movie was angry at good-looking women. I was. Uh, totally convinced that it was going to be a female uh, killer here, just, you know, out of jealousy, blah, blah, blah. But there's still a lot that the movie does well. I mean, 
the, the arm chop scene and that spectacular arterial spray uh, has elements of Herschel Gordon Lewis in it, who I absolutely adore. Derek knows that from a show that we did a couple of years ago. Just I love that man to no end. And when I see an Italian movie actually uh, display a little bit of Herschel's influence in there, I, I, I smile every time. So, yeah, this one, I, I will say that I like the performances a little bit better in this one. I think our our leading actor uh, does a really good job. Of, well, Peter Neal. Uh, what's the actor's name? Anthony Franciosa. Franciosa. Whatever. Francisco. Uh, Francisco. <laughs> yeah. I'll go with that too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I thought he did a great job. I thought Saxon, we don't really get a lot of Saxon in the film, but what little we get, he does come off as this kind of slimy dirtbag type. And I like that because he can portray that really, really well. Daria, you know, I don't think she's nearly as wooden as Derek thinks she is in this one. I'm not saying that this is a, a great performance from her necessarily, but, you know, uh, anytime we can get her in these films, I'm always happy. So, you know, it's still always good to see her. Um, but like I said, yeah, of the three movies we watch, this is probably going to be the one that I'm coming in the lowest on because I just found it to be um the hardest one to watch like i said with its pacing issues with some of its score choices um the cinematography though set in rome doesn't really blow me away the way deep red does um and even and even phenomena set in switzerland that one has some beautiful locales and cinematography as well so um i think this movie may have suffered on this watch because a i haven't seen it in a long time and b i literally watched all as i've already said i've watched all three of these movies back to back to back uh yesterday actually um as my refresher rewatches, and this one coming in between two movies that I I rate really high. One, Deep Red, because I just think that it's a beautiful, masterful film. And then Phenomena, which is more of a guilty pleasure for me because I also have a thing for insects. Uh, I have multiple scorpions mm -hmm. and spiders tattooed on me, uh, even though I know they're technically arachnids. Don't get on my case, entomologists out there, but I, I, I love <laughs> my arachnids and my insects. Are um, they like Greta? <laughs> exactly they like they like Greta I'm like Greta um but yeah so like I said because of my love for uh the other two films this one ends up being a little bit lower though still a very well-made film a beautiful giallo um it just ultimately it comes in a little bit lower because I'm not as big a fan of the gore in this one I'm not as big a fan of the score in this one and um and like Derek said, I wish they would have utilized Daria a little bit more. Ultimately, still a great movie. It still is going to get a high rating from me. It's just because it got sandwiched in between two Argento movies that I like just head and shoulders better. Um, it kind of suffers for that. But ultimately, still a great Jala. Okay. Uh, Derek. Uh very interesting. Uh, sorry, I was just reading something. Somebody was messaging me while I was listening to Venom talk. But, uh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> Tenebrae is actually a very important movie in Argento's career because it came after Inferno. And Inferno flopped. Like I said, Deep Red came after another movie that flopped, which was actually not even a horror film film it was a comedy called two days in milan he went back and 
Uh, Tenebrae actually speaks for a few different reasons. It's about the cre- art creating the artists, which Argento, you know, like the reviewers are saying Argento's was misogynistic in his movies. And that movie actually plays a lot into that. And certain aspects with the character of Peter Neal, played by Anthony Francisco. Uh, it's very important for that reason alone. And the, the only reason why I actually say that Darren Nicolodi's role's useless in the movie, she even said is in the interview on the Arrow release. It's her least favorite performance. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And character she played in the movie. So there's that, you know. Uh, I like John Saxon's pretty good as Peter Neal's agent. Uh, I actually really love Giolani Gemma as the fucking cop in this movie. <laughs> uh, uh, he's actually a big Western star. I love him in like all the Westerns I've seen him in. Uh, he's great. Uh, and my favorite, one of the first kills is actually Anya Pirano as the shoplifter girl who steals the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, who you recognize as, uh, the housemaid from House by the Cemetery. Yep. Yeah. She's fucking gorgeous. hot. Yeah, yeah. gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. I love her. That whole whole kill, too, is like the fucking ripping the pages out of the book and stuffing her in her mouth. Uh Fucking great. And the thing I like about this a lot is there's actually two killers in this movie, (laughs) which, spoiler alert. Yeah, man, cold double twist. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. because we got John Steiner, who should be a killer in every movie because he's just a rapey motherfucker <laughs> with his rape mustache. Uh, yeah, <laughs> fucking always plays a great dick. So we he's like a he's a discount Dean Stockwell. Kinda, you know, <laughs> fucking. But he's great. He's in tons of great Italian movies. Like uh, he plays like a rapey guy in Cut and Run. The Rodriguez Diodato movie. Huh. Uh, he's in a uh, shock with Dara. Actually, with Dara Nicolodi. That's actually a great Mario Bava's last movie. That's a good one. Yeah, fucking. Uh, we actually talked about him when we did that Western show. He's the bad guy in that uh, Mahan Manaja, the man with the blade movie. Yep. Yeah, fucking. Always good. I kind of because. You know, the thing with uh, the Goblin score in this one, it's 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 pretty much Claudio. He's doing that. That's all him doing that tenebrae. Tenebrae. Tenebrae <laughs> with the monotone. <laughs> the you main know, hook, though. The main hook's great. The yeah, main the, theme song's fucking fantastic. Yeah, I agree. The rest of it's like discoed out, but that main theme's great. Yeah, and yeah, I love the, Yeah, the main theme's fucking awesome. And, you know, I love that whole chase sequence of that girl's just getting chased by the dog and then the killer after. It's fucking great. Yeah. That was, <laughs> she had the worst uh, night ever. Yeah. Dumped Poor by girl. the guy, then getting chased by the dog, then chased by the killer. You know. But, uh, yeah, I, and yeah, that whole, like, subplot with, like, the, the girl on the beach, which Ava Robbins, spoiler alert, she's a man, baby. 
<laughs> yeah. That's, that's very interesting to go into like the character of Peter Neal as a character, dwelling into it. And actually, fun fact, Anthony Francisco and Dario Argento did not get along on this movie at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Dario also said that in the interview. Uh, Dario yeah. is supposedly hard to work for, from what I've heard. Yeah, the thing with Dario, if you didn't know this film, he was actually like a, <laughs> he, he was actually a movie reviewer before he became a director. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he's very hard to work with in that sense. Where even his own daughter has problems with him. I've heard that yeah. most most auteurs are kind of hard to work with. Kubrick, Hitchcock, De Palma, guys like that are always famously exactly. hard on their actors, you know? Yeah. Even Fulci, to an extent, was, mm-hmm. a lot of his women actresses, you know, like, very hard to work with. Besides <laughs> Katarina. Mm-hmm. You know? But <laughs> I dig this movie for what it is. It's, it's main message is art imitating life. Mm-hmm. Which you know was the main, you know, criticism of Argento's movies that he was getting from like reviews of his movies, and it's played throughout this writer character, which I find very interesting. And you know, I dig it for what it is. Deep uh, Tenebrae, uh, a very different movie for the time period, but it speaks. It's Argento speaking out at things that were happening in his life at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I like I like the character of the critic here and the fact that he's one of the killers because uh, once again, it's our imitating life or vice versa, if you want to look at it that way, because ultimately, what can critics do? They can kill your career. And this guy is literally killing. So it's kind of interesting how he just took the the next natural step as opposed to just writing reviews to kill these people's career. Fuck it. I'm just going to kill them straight up. Uh, I, 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 I think that's uh, some pretty heavy commentary there, you know? I was just going to say it also has one of my greatest visuals ever is, you know, him t- taking the light bulb out with the fucking switchblade. That's one of the greatest fucking visuals ever in a fucking yeah. Giallo movie. I did like that, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, uh, Dubby. Yeah, man, this this is just the most oddball uh, Argento flick. You know, there's a lot of sim, uh, symbolism in this overall flick. There's a lot of duality going on between the two, you know, kind of double reveal we, we mentioned. But, you know, you have all these flashbacks and weird scenes. It just comes off as a creepy, weird overall flick. Um, like I said, there's a lot of symbolism for his personal life, and there's a lot going on. I, I just find this is maybe one of his most interesting films. And when I think of Tenebrae, I always think Argento's best gore. I think this is the best gore and the most memorable gore scenes and kills in overall film. Um, yes, the the cinematography is not not there to the pace of Deep Red or Suspiria, but uh, the locations are definitely there. I, I do like the settings and the overall, these apartments in this cool uh, glass house, more or less. There again, more symbol, uh, symbolic features going on, I think, here with this glass house. Um, 
I think there's a lot of depth to this film, man. I, I, I think Tenebrae is pretty kick-ass overall. Like I said, I, I, I wish Goblin maybe delivered a better soundtrack, but the, the main hook's still there. Yeah. Yeah. This score definitely speaks to the time. You know, the fact that our first movie was mid-70s, and now this one's kind of creeping into the early to mid-80s. So... The score makes sense. It's just like Friday the 13th Part 3 having a slightly more disco score. It just speaks to the time. So, exactly. I, you know, I, I'm not going to bitch. Dead, disco was in. Like exactly. It was, it, identity crisis in music. So you can't really Hell, fault it too yeah. much. Hell, <laughs> exactly. Like, the, I'm not going to take the... too much. Crit, Kiss was doing say... disco. Like, nobody knew what the fuck was going on. <laughs> Hell, when we get to the next movie, we're going to get into some fucking motorhead in the weirdest scene ever. Oh, yeah. And well, yeah, I've got a lot to say about that score as well. But yeah, this one, like I said, being that it's a product of its time, I'm not going to, you know, knock it down too much. I am going to say that ultimately, to be honest to myself, I prefer the deep red score head and shoulders above this one. Um, the fact that it's not as electronic, you know, um, I, I for those who don't know, I am a musician. I've been a bass player for over 35 years. Um, and I'm just a fan of live music. I'm a fan of music actually being played by musicians. Now, I understand that someone on a synthesizer is Space, also a musician. Yeah, Bar Delete is not musicians. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm still going to give them their credit because they can do stuff that I can't. I, I don't listen to that Creativity music. and sequencing, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I, uh, for whatever it's worth, you know, it, I, I enjoy some of it. It's just, it's not my kind of music, so... You know, when I say that I feel like this score is a step down from Deep Red, it might be a step up for some people. Some people might like this one better, and that's just as valid an opinion. You know, I'm not trying to say that it's any worse, necessarily. It's just that I'm not as into the disco dancey sound of the mid-80s as much as I am the kind of progressive rock of the mid-70s. Um, so, you know, like I said, the, the Deep Red score just speaks to me a little bit more than this one. So, But ultimately, like I said, it's just unfortunate that we sandwiched this in between for me personally it's unfortunate that we sandwiched it in between these two movies because you know i i these two you know the the, the first and third movie of the night i absolutely love i just all, and all it needed of, was a freaking orangutan or like a gorilla freaking with a chainsaw yeah exactly yeah a good decapitation <laughs> or something i don't know not to complain about the gore because um, you know, whoever made that comment just now about the gore is absolutely correct. I, I mentioned the arm chop, beautiful arterial spray, just so bright red. I, I absolutely loved it. The guy getting his head stapled to that table through his neck, I thought was epic. I mean, yeah, there's some absolutely great kills. Yeah, honestly, the worst kill in the movie is John Saxon's death. Kind of, yeah. It's a little uneventful, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's done in broad daylight, so I mean, I, I kind of like that aspect of it too. The fact that it's yeah. broad daylight and there's a lot of people around, and this person was able to get in there, get a couple of stabs in, and you know, get the hell out of there. For whatever it's worth, that's mildly impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, now this was my uh, first time watch with this one, and uh, I fucking loved it. Again, I'm the one. I actually really enjoyed the score. I love that synth uh, '80s uh, techno, whatever you want to call it, style. I felt that really worked for it, especially the one scene where you're following the side of the house and you're going up the window and around the building. With that music played, I thought that scene was incredible. How that worked, 
Um, I love the whole, it's based on a murder novel that was pretty much written, which was done. And so, of course, you had all the killers being killed off with that novel with a different storyline. It's like, well, since the, since the, uh, <clears throat> the police detective knew what the killer was in the, in the novel, I don't think it probably played well, but I liked how the story went with that. That's what brought the guy over into Italy. That's what brought this killer out to, you know, I could use this novel as my way of killing, which I thought was neat. But I love that twist at the end where <clears throat> the main guy there is killing off the two, well, we find out there was a love issue going on with John Saxton pretty much uh, going on his back and having an affair with the girl that he was dating. That's why he killed <clears throat> those two. figured, well, if these two die, well, that's the killer. The killer is mm-hmm. still around, so it kind of throws the police off. And you kind of figured, oh, that would be a great scapegoat, which I thought was pretty neat. But then I had a couple issues with this. <clears throat> Like with the one where they're at the mansion there and his assistant goes to the window and he sees uh, the dude there turning around saying, you know, I'm the killer. And he gets that awesome axe to the face scene. <laughs> <laughs> and but what gets me, though, is the other guy is supposedly in the backyard, too. Mm-hmm. How the hell did he get into the house, hit the guy with the axe? run back around and hit himself in the back of the head with a rock. It's like, hmm, that that part to me didn't make sense. But the rest of the movie, I thought, played well. Even the foreshadowing of the, <laughs> the stupid hat of John Saxon. I was telling Derek earlier, he goes, yeah, I put this hat on, I can move my head back and everything, it doesn't fall off. Well, when he gets killed, he moves his head back, guess what, his hat falls off. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it was great. But, I also uh, to, love... speak, uh, to speak oh, to ahead. your comment about um, him hitting his health on the head, um, because of the scene later on when he quote-unquote slits his own throat, it's very obvious that this guy is somewhat adapt at special makeup effects. Right. So I, I could see him, like, I, I don't think he hit himself in the head. I think that's just a fake wound right, fake that he rock. put on his head. But and, still, how did he get into the house? kill the guy get back out of the house to lay down on the ground it's like hmm that part didn't seem to work well enough again again james one was definitely a fan of this movie (laughs) (laughs) maybe he was a magician too because you know the fake throat slash and everything you could probably use as a magic trick (laughs) because we're starting to dig into like every complaint about the soft franchise right now (laughs) oh god we don't have enough time. And yeah. I love how at the end, too, we have that art display with all the spikes. Yeah. And I'm thinking, something's going to happen with that art display. I just know it. I just know it. And then we it's get that final great. puncture. I'm like, damn, he's got his hands all trying to get it out. And that girl screaming at the end because, you know, she loved him and everything. <laughs> but still. Uh, no. It's like one Epic long ending, man. <laughs> Yeah, thank God they tacked on that extra ending because I remember the first time, and even this time because I, it had been so long and I had forgotten the ending. I was actually upset with that first ending, you know, uh, the writer slitting his own throat. I remember thinking, I even have it written down in my notes. Well, that was one of the most unsatisfying endings I've ever seen. But then they come back and give us that second ending, which was like, ah, that made up for all of my issues with the first ending. <laughs> 
Yeah. Awesome. So I never saw that part. So that's cool. I didn't. I never knew that was a uh, extra added scene, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that was cool. It's a lot better than. Uh, I know we actually mentioned this movie earlier. Opera's extra ending. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's fucking Lord of the Rings ending on opera. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we only get two endings here. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and like the movie Clue, where we get like six. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I I really definitely enjoyed this one. I thought it was a pretty cool giallo. Um, definitely got that slasher esque with the black gloves and the the blade. So I was just using a blade. He uses an axe. Um, the rope around the one guy's neck. So we started using other multiple devices, which I thought was pretty neat. Uh, some pretty hot chicks, especially one being nude. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. The women in this movie. Jesus. Oh, the one scene with the 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 shoe in the in the guy's mouth, like just getting stepped on. Oh yeah. It's like I must, oh. I must add that's a man. I must add, I add that's yeah, right, right. looks like yeah. a girl. Because like, cause I actually, cause I actually told that because Brandon thought that lady was hot. I'm like, Brandon, you know that's a man, right? <laughs> no, he's from Iran. <laughs> hey, it's a good-looking guy. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I was gay, sure. If I'm not. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, let's get into some ratings. Uh, Venom, you go first. All right. As I said, you know, this movie, unfortunately, has the, you know, unenviable task of being watched in between two other Argento films that I love more, that I'm more familiar with, that I've seen more often. Um, But still, I I don't want to take anything away from this film. It's still, you know, I mean, this is still like the prime of Argento's career, late 70s, early 80s. Um, This movie still has a lot going for it. I've heard a lot of people say this is their favorite Argento movie. It's not nearly mine, but I also wouldn't argue that point either because it's still a very, very well-made movie, good performances, um, you know, great kills, lots of really good gore. There's a lot going on here, but like I said, just because of where it was sandwiched today, it's going to suffer a little bit, but not by much. I'm going to come in on a Tenebrae with an 8 out of 10. Okay. Derek? Uh... Yeah, I like this movie a lot. Uh, it's it's definitely... It, it, I do agree it's a little bit messy. It's not perfect in any stretch of the, like Deep Red is to me. It does have a lot of... It's interesting because of the aspect of it coming after Inferno. You know, he's finding, finding his footing again after, you know, the tragedy that was inferno which you know he didn't he barely even directed inferno to be honest if you actually read some of the backstory on that uh but uh yeah i like it for what it is it's a very interesting movie it's life entertaining art and you know with the artists being involved within the movie and i like the ending of it and yeah uh, it has some great imagery, some great kills in it. it it's everything that I kind of want in a Giallo. Plus, it has Anya Priani in it, so I can't rate it too low. Because <laughs> she's fucking hot. Especially with those eyebrows. I want to slick her eyebrows. But, 
Yeah, I'll give it a nine. I'm at a nine on Tenebrae. Fair shit. Uh, Debbie. Yeah, man, that's honestly where I'm coming in as well. Um, this this is one of the Argentos that's always stuck with me. I will admit there was a point where I probably had this at a ten, and I've, I've just come to reality with it. There is flaws here. And it's not his best film. It's not there with the deep reds and shit like that. But there's still a lot to be had here. Like I said, there there's a lot of depth. Um, you know, he's he's pretty creative with the storyline. Um, you know, the overall atmosphere probably does bring it down. It's just not as creepy or right there with some of his other films. But it's a nine out of ten, man. Still fantastic shit. Nice. Uh, for me, for being a first-time watch, um, I definitely really enjoyed it. I liked how the storyline played out. I liked the whole murder mystery. I'm trying to guess through the whole movie, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, it's this guy. Nope. All right, fine. Fuck it. It's got to be this guy. And I kind of was right, but then all of a sudden I hear him say I'm the killer, then get to the axe. I'm thinking, there's more killers now? There's a different killer? Is it the a same killer? Was the other guy just being nuts? All right, <laughs> so let's keep going. Let's see how it plays out. And like oh that's a cool twist i liked how that and how he figured i'll use him as a scapegoat kill the two people that are backstabbing me make it look like the other killer did it i can get away with it all ha! nope <laughs> so i give this one a 9.5 out of 10 i like so i like the score i like that techno vibe music that they played through it uh, I like the kills. That arm cutoff scene was insane with the blood splattering all over yeah, the Yeah, that was very Kill Billish with that blood. <laughs> Even with the girl that got her, uh, she was like stabbed in her face. You could see her face through the t-shirt. Yeah, actually, uh, we actually reviewed, uh, what the fuck was that? Karate Kill? They actually Yeah, Karate em- Kill. Karando actually yeah. emulated that scene in that movie. Yeah. I thought Our that first was- film. Our first yeah. uh, podcast, actually. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, I guess on a nine point five out of ten. Good shit, Matt. Not hollow iron time material, but no slouch in the tone, right? Finn, before there. we move, before we move on, I should remind you that the department store manager, the guy who catches uh, the girl shoplifting, is played in one movie that we reviewed on No More Room in Hell. You know what movie that was? Uh, ooh. I don't think so. His name was Ennio Gerolami, and he played Joe in Killer Crocodile. Oh! <laughs> so fuck Mike Merriman. <laughs> Bringing it back around to Mike. I love but it. I like, I like that movie. It, it's bad, but it's my kind of bad. Yeah, I like that yeah, like movie, too. Yeah, for as much shit as we give Mike, I, I actually did have kind of a guilty good time with it. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, kind of, I forgot, too, in Tenebrae, the girl that was stealing the book, she still got away with the book. The cop gave yeah. it back to her. Yeah. <laughs> because he promised to have sex with her later. Yeah. Well, here's the book. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to lick her you up. You can keep it. <laughs> I would have did the same thing if she did that. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed her for a second. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You're going to fuck me. Okay. I don't know. She was desperate to read that fucking murder mystery. Yeah, apparently. I don't think anybody's that desperate to read it. <laughs> but anyways, guys, we got one more movie to discuss, so I say we take a break. Play the trailer for Phenomena. Do, 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 do. 
<laughs> and we'll be right back after this. of this part of the country. It comes from the Alps. The blasts of warm air cause snow avalanches. While it blows, there are those who say it causes madness. Have you any idea why they behave like that? Never done this before. It's probably because of me. I guess they sense the mood I'm in. See, he's not afraid of you. you. Won't do that for me. Ask him to lead you where the dead bodies are hidden, and he'll lead you. That fly is your magic wand. It's perfectly normal for insects to be slightly telepathic. Yeah, it's normal for insects. But am I normal? I love you. I love you all. Everybody, we are back with 1985's Phenomena. Do, 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 do. We can do that for the whole <laughs> you know. I know, I know, I know. Dude, I know. Fucking NFW is playing that throughout their whole commentary. Wow. <laughs> and uh, spoiler alert: Willis Wheeler is a big fan of the monkey in this movie. Well, who doesn't love the monkey in this movie? <laughs> I know. The greatest monkey ever, Igna. Wherever my laser goes, it remembers. Remember that, guys. Because <laughs> it plays back into later into the movie. But uh, yeah, phenomenon, 1985. Uh, very interesting year because Dario Argento actually produced Demons the same year this movie came out. And this movie and Demons kind of share a lot of DNA. They are very Americanized movies <laughs> with score, soundtrack. Uh, yeah, they decided to play like Iron Maiden, Motorhead throughout the soundtrack. 
But uh, there's some good things about this soundtrack because it's not all Goblin. There's a, only a few Goblin songs on this one. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's get into a little plot synopsis before I go on. A young girl who has an amazing ability to communicate with insects is transferred to an ex- exclusive Swiss boarding school where her unusual capability might help solve a string of murders. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, yeah, this film stars one of my early cinema crushes, Jennifer Connelly. Uh, yeah, if you guys didn't know this, I'm a huge fan of Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Career, uh, career opportunities where she rides that horse on Target. <laughs> I could just jerk off to that gif of her every day if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I love her. Uh, especially uh, Paul Bettany. Good job, man. Good job, Mary and Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. Good job, Vision. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this film also stars the legend, the myth, the legend, Donald Pleasance as Professor John McGregor, who is a Scottish entomologist. We actually made reference to that earlier. <laughs> Who's obsessed with finding out who killed Greta. He's very obsessed with Greta. <laughs> we also have Daria Nicolodi as Fra Brockner. Sounds like some fucking crazy Austin Powers character. Or like uh, making fun of Fair Bluka from Young Frankenstein. Yeah, I, we didn't hear the horse. <laughs> That's because her kid looked like a horse. <laughs> oh. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, we also have Dahlia De La Rosa as the headmistress, who's the biggest bitch of all bitches in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, this school would have been fucking shut down if I fucking had my daughter go to it. Just saying. Uh, one one sleepwalking incident, and they're like, oh, mental sh- uh, electric shock treatment and fucking mental institution already? Yeah. Damn, these people are like fucking Dorothy Gill's aunt and uncle in Return to Oz. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we also have Michelle Suave. Uh, the director of films like Stage Fright, uh, Cemetery Man, and uh, The Church as uh, one of the cops in the movie mm-hmm. early on with the main inspector dude who's talking to Donald Pleasance, trying to figure out things. He also played the middle face dude in Demons the same year. And, uh, yeah, uh, Phenomena. do 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 uh, one of the first <laughs> Argento movies I've seen. I'll get into my thoughts on it later. But uh, I'll switch it up a bit because we've been going to Venom a lot. <laughs> Dubby, what's your thoughts on the phenomena? Yeah, man. So this is one that maybe didn't stick with me as much as other folks seem to be higher on this one but of course i was a big fan of argento i always liked this film um it's been a long time since i revisited and i'm glad i did i will say i I came up a bit on this viewing uh i feel like it's just overall pretty fucking fun flick man uh there's some crazy batshit 
shit going on with the whole psychic subplot. Um, but I love the dynamic between Donald Pleasance and Jennifer Conley and just her unleashing her abilities and how it basically plays into the overall plot of this film. Uh, she's a fascinating character at the end of the day, and I think that's what pulls you in, you know, for more reasons than one. But fucking, she's awesome, man. She really knocks it out of the park on this flick. So yeah, man, I will say I'm I'm up on this one compared to how I used to be. Phenomena, do 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 do. Venom. All right. Um, I, as I've already said, I love this film. This was one of the first Argento movies I ever saw. I think Deep Red was probably the very first one. And then this one was very close after. Um, because of the heavy metal soundtrack that this movie has, it I instantly was attracted to it. You know, Because uh, I saw this when it was fairly new. I saw this as Creepers, as most Americans probably. If, we, if you watched it in the 80s or early 90s on VHS... You probably mm-hmm. saw it as Creepers, and yeah, that's how I saw it, and I I fell in love with it instantly. Uh, I'm right there with Derek. Jennifer Connelly is one of my all-time favorite um, actresses ever, uh, if not for her acting ability, at the very least, just for her appeal. Because I, I just I find her ridiculously stunning. Always have. Uh, she's a 14-year-old girl in this movie. I, I don't mean her character. I mean she's literally 14 years old mm-hmm. in this movie. And it's really hard not to have awful thoughts in my head while watching this. So <laughs> if if you're listening, Miss Connolly, please forgive me. And especially Vision, please forgive me. Because, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I especially later on as she grows up, um, stuff like Labyrinth, uh, just w- when she kind of blossoms into her womanhood, I find it hard to watch the movies because I just end up staring at her. And ah, she's legal now. All right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like watching, you know, it's weird because I looking back on it, I look, yeah, Joni Foster's kind of cute and fucking taxi driver. I'm like, but, you know, it's like, yeah, but I was, she's older than me now, so I could say that thing when I saw uh, the movie. You know? I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess to an extent you could. I mean, you know. Yeah, because I started at, at a young age when I was her age when the movie came out, you know. Yeah, yeah. Jennifer Connelly is actually one year older than me, which uh, just makes makes me like her even more. Uh, like when you watch uh, Tracy Lord's uh, young, uh, younger porn days because she was way underage for it. Right. Kind of like, oh, I feel gross now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel gross, but I still have all three movies in my bedroom. Anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- I already mentioned how much I love insects and arachnids. So this movie just spoke to me, you know, all the scenes that other kids might find (laughs) icky or creepy. I just have an ear to ear grin on my face the entire time. The fact that we have this beautiful, you know, girl with the ability to not only speak, but command, not only speak to, but command insects just absolutely worked for me. It's a little convenient. I will say, you know, all we really get as far as an explanation of how she has these abilities is kind of a throwaway line from Donald Pleasance when he's talking about, you know, the car accident took away my legs, but your car accident gave you something. 
Um, so, you know, th that's really all we know about how she got her abilities. So at times it does seem a little convenient, but for whatever it's worth, it's still just fucking great to, to watch her kind of blossom from this kind of timid little girl into the queen of the flies, you know, or Lord of the flies to use a terrible pun. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, this movie is, I, I I mentioned it earlier. It's a guilty pleasure film for me. Um, as a cinephile and glorified movie critic, I understand that this movie is not Suspiria. It's not Deep Red. It's not Tenebrae. It's not one of. It's not considered one of Argento's like classics or masterpieces, if you will. But for whatever it's worth, a lot of it speaks to me. You know, the the deformed child killer uh, <laughs> is it, kind of a, a sub a sub sub genre that I've always kind of been into. You know, killer kids. I like killer kids. Um, and then, of course, like I said, with the insects and then we get the you know, we get once again, we kind of sort of get a double reveal, both of the killer and who's kind of working with the killer to perpetuate their acts. And then, of course, that person coming back from perceivably death. But that's just because uh, Detective Geiger is terrible and apparently can't finish a job. But that's a story for another day, I guess. But well, there's one person who can. <laughs> oh man but yeah I, like i said i i i like this movie a lot more than most i'm not going to sit here and say it's one of argento's best because objectively it's not but the the quirky things that it does speaks to me in a lot of ways this movie isn't nearly as gory as some of argento's others though we do get that great you know scene of the pit with the, all the dead bodies and congealed blood and everything else in there that poor Jennifer Connelly's uh, having to swim through in that scene, uh, you know, uh, shades of poltergeist definitely. But um, yeah, for whatever it's worth, like I said, this movie works for me a lot more than it works for others. It, it is a personal guilty pleasure film. So despite me giving it a rating higher than Tenebrae, I understand that Tenebrae is objectively a better film. It's better made, better acted, better written. But Phenomena always has the, the also has that great thing of having two American, very recognizable American actors in here. So th this was kind of like a transitional Italian horror film for me. Because there were two recognizable American stars in it, it made it more accessible to young horror fans like me, and especially Donald Pleasance. I mean, in 1985, Donald Pleasance is a horror icon, and you know, to see him in any film instantly adds more credibility to it. Um, I, I found the scenes with Connolly and Pleasance together just added a level of class to the film that I don't know that Italian actors could have done. They may have been able to, but it's the name recognition that works for a lot of American movie audiences. Movie audiences in general, I think, tend to prefer, you know, recognizable names and faces, especially in genres that they love. So for whatever it's worth, the couple of weird, quirky things that this movie does speaks to me more than a film like Tenebrae. Um, but like I said, I'm not an idiot. I understand that this is not like an Argento masterpiece, but on a personal level, it's one of my favorite Argento films. And honestly, next to Suspiria, this is the one I go to more often than not. Um, obviously Suspiria has a 4k release and I've been enamored with that for the last year since I've owned it. But, uh, if Phenomena were ever to get a release like that, it would. Spoiler alert, it it it's getting a, it's in synapse.
beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome. So wait, Arrow's uh, doing the UK and Synapse is going to do the American release of it? Yeah. Cool. Is it going to be, is it Phenomena? I, I always wanted yeah. to get a Creepers release. It's, so got, it's going to have Phenomena. all three cuts on it, too. Oh, nice. Well, uh, I assume a slip cover of some kind, right? Yeah, yeah some box cover. Awesome. But I think so, it's just a 4K only. It's not even doesn't have the regular Blu-ray too, which sucks. Oh uh, well, I mean that's fine for me, but yeah, that definitely is going to be a hindrance for some I'm people. Still, yeah, I'm still buying it, even though I have a steelbook of this movie. But oh yeah, I'm absolutely buying it for a 4K of this. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll probably keep my original 4 4K. Uh, 4K. Yeah, my Arrow release. It was the one that was released first. Then they got lost and damaged in a fire somewhere, and then they had to put out a different version. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, to, to kind of just sum up, I love this film more than most. Uh, it, it works for me a lot more than a lot of people. Uh, like I said, the plot points here kind of, they entertain me more than a lot of the stuff that we get out of uh, Tenebrae. And like I said, it, it, it's... The easiest way to put it is that it is an absolute guilty pleasure movie for me. I love this film despite its flaws, despite its shortcomings, and despite it not being one of Argento's best, it's still one of my favorite. Well, I'm glad you say that, Venom, because it's actually my favorite Argento movie of all time. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Uh, It's one that always spoke to me because what it does is actually blends two of his genres together that he usually dwells into the supernatural like the telepathy and the worms and shit like that and the giallo and mixes it together with a little bit of 80 slasher yep and it works perfectly for what it is it shouldn't but it does (laughs) you have a fucking deformed kid with maggots on his face in this movie you got darn nicoloni fucking chewing up scenery when she becomes evil later and yeah and it, it's awesome because if you didn't know this star nicolodi is actually the voice of uh mother superiormo in the original Suspiria, and the dub actress they used for her english voice was also the dub actress that they use for the english version of mother superiormo so when she laughs, laughs it sounds exactly like mother superiormo from Suspiria. nice which is fucking awesome. <laughs> and to top it all off, the final scene of this movie is a fucking chimpanzee with a straight edge razor fucking killing <laughs> Dario Nicolodi. Uh, it's the fucking greatest thing to ever happen in cinema. And it really the, is. The pure joy of hearing Willis will, because he's wondering, where the fuck is that monkey? And then it happens. <laughs> He's like, oh my fucking god, this is fucking amazing. <laughs> oh, I can almost hear him saying it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know how he feels about Argento movies. Yeah. So for him to say that, you know, like for the monkey was ten out of ten, everything else was bullshit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. The score, you know, like I love the code open of this movie mm-hmm. uh, with uh, actually Argento's daughter, Fiora Argento, who's also in Demons of the same oh, year. Oh, wow, I thought that girl was French. I was convinced that was a French girl. Oh, no, that's, that's Argento's daughter from uh, his first marriage, Fiora. Ah, gotcha. She was in Demons and this the same year. Uh, 
She was the the girl with the boyfriend, you know, in demons, and yep. they go in the, like, the the tunnel system, and then she becomes a demon. Yep. I actually got to talk to her on Facebook. It was fucking awesome because that's actually one of the scenes that scared the shit out of me in Demons. Nice. Was that scene, you know? Uh, but that cold open's fucking amazing because if you didn't know, that opening score is actually not Goblin. Mm-hmm. That's done by Bill Wyman from the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. With the bass, bam, 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 bam. R.I.P. It's fucking so good. So good, <laughs> like that, you know. And then she gets decapitated, you know. It is it as gory, you know? Yeah. Is it is fucking awesome that Iron Maiden is playing whenever somebody's getting chased by the killer? Yes. <laughs> yes. Later, the Ripper. Hell yeah. Yeah. The only, awkward, only, the only awkward music I would say is when Motorhead comes in with Donald Pleasant's bodies coming. I'm like, okay, this is a weird scene to play. This, you know, that's the only I, time. Where, yeah, what are you gonna say? I was gonna say I will say that at times, uh, Flash of the Blade, the Iron Maiden song, is a little like out of place. Like I, I, I like the scenes when they're being chased and the song is playing, but in both chase sequences where they use the song, the chase kind of slows down to where you know uh, the the person who's being chased is kind of looking around trying to see what's going on, but it's still the fast paced Iron Maiden song playing in the background. And I remember thinking, wow, this is almost a little too fast paced for this slightly slower paced chase. But once the chase picks up, the music fits perfectly. Yeah, but it like, makes sense. It makes sense when you find out who the actual killer is killing these people too. Exactly. Like, it's like this little fucking midget deformed kid. <laughs> And the way that he frames the songs, too, because in both instances, when Bruce Dickinson says Flash of the Blade, that's when um, the killer is putting the blade on his, you know, long, stabby thing. Uh, that's a scientific term, by the way, long, stabby thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's phallic fucking blade. Well, hey, it's it's a it's it's an Italian horror movie. There's gonna be phallicism all over it. <laughs> and the killer is revealed. Why do you the killer supposed to reach the people to kill him? He needs a long stabby thing because he's too short. There you go. <laughs> yeah, he's JP height. You know. <laughs> oh, that poor little monkey. <laughs> I love JP. Poor guy. Oh god. Uh, and you know what's crazy? It ends in a lake, so it's kind of like Friday the Thirteenth. You know. How so? You know the end of the lake with a deformed kid. Oh, oh, my bad. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't quite catch what you said. Yes, yes, totally agree. With a, with a motherly figure looking after him. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. You're, you're there. You're right there. You know, and that scene <laughs> where the bugs just eat that kid's that deformed kid's face. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> fucking kid pulls out his own eyeball and is still alive for like five minutes. Holy shit. Yeah, he's hardcore. <laughs> You know, I, I'm telling you, this is a prequel to Friday the 13th that we never got. You know what? I, I, I might, I'm starting to believe you, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to make, make it official. Yeah. Prequel. Yeah. Yeah. This movie's <laughs> fucking awesome. I fucking yes. love it. Uh, it's fucking great. Nar, yeah. Like I said, Dara Nickelodeon in this movie, fucking chewing up scenery left oh. to right, especially in the final act of this movie. The, the last 30 minutes of Superior is fucking awesome. And the journey there is still pretty awesome because you get this cool, like, 
the fuck is going on? Because it's very fairy tale like, especially the scenes of Jennifer Connelly sleepwalking, yep. which I love. So that awesome fucking goblin score. Classic goblin right there. And then you get fucking Maura Shapiro, the biggest dickhead ever who actually sent her to this school. And his head chopped off, and it's fucking awesome. There's a lot of fucking awesome. And, you know, there's a great callback, you know, that goes to the end of the movie. Where Donald Pleasance is talking, you see where I point my laser? She no, she never forgets. And he, before he dies, he points the laser at the killer's face. That's and right. Ig- yep. And Ingna did not fucking forget. He, she fucking fucking killed that fucking bitch. Yeah, what? That's one of the most satisfying th- things in this movie, especially as an animal lover, to see Inga get revenge and, and to be relentless about it too. I mean, she went out there and jumped on the killer's car instantly, and even though she got thrown off the car, uh, she continues the hunt, and 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 then just happens to catch up right at the end there, just as Connolly is about to get her head chopped off. Yeah, it, it's. It's a little pandering, but you know what? I, I don't mind being pandered to every now and then. I, I, it's so satisfying for me. Yeah, it's, it's so fucking awesome. Nope. Matt, Matt, did you go yet? Phenomena. Mic drop. No. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, yeah, this movie was fucking awesome. If you think about it, this is like Argento's version of a superhero movie. Yes. Yeah. You got a girl. She's got superpowers to... Uh, connect with bugs and the the midget deformed little fucker is the supervillain kind of like the uh i don't know some little does that make donald pleasant's professor x kind of (laughs) kind of yeah so she's got to use her superpowers to stop the killer or stop the villain Uh, whoa but no yeah it's like a superhero slash giallo But a lot of good gore. I mean, man, so that decapitation scene where the girl's head falls into the river and it's just bouncing between the rocks. You're like, damn, awesome kills. <clears throat> I feel sorry for Donald Pleasant's character, but yeah. it is what it is. But that plays the point where his last notion of death, he points the laser at the killer going, get him. That's my <laughs> fuck you to you, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, this was you don't get a deformed little killer kid kind of giallo style, which I thought was cool. Yeah, yeah, Usually, yeah. Before before you go on, you know what kind of reminded me of the reveal is "Don't Look Now." You know, Argento definitely took from "Don't Look Now" with the reveal of that movie. Yeah, little midget. I can see that. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was a really cool idea. Um, again, you, the killer usually in giallo is either female or male. Uh, Look, that looks good, you know, proper, and of course they hide behind the gloves and everything. But this one, you get a kind of a deformed midget kid. You're like, wow, it's Mike, it's uh, Jason Voorhees in his teen years, probably. He's over on vacation. Especially when the first time I seen this movie, I thought it was Sloth from the Goonies because he was chained up in the beginning. Oh, this could have been, yeah. <laughs> Sloth's uh, young escape or something. Sloth's cousin. Yeah, sleuth. Run up, bump. But yeah, this I, I remember this uh, as a kid. Again, it's under creepers. I remember going to the video store, 
and I look at the VHS tapes, and I always picked up Creepers. And like that front page, the front cover art is awesome with the woman with her hand out holding all the insects, half her face is a skull. You're like, ooh, what's this? You pick it up and read it, and you're like, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all the oh. cover arts for this movie are fucking awesome. Yeah, they are. Yep. Oh, yeah. Like, awesome. even, like, the Phenomena poster art is fucking beautiful. It's very fairy tale-esque with Jennifer Connelly, like, holding a butterfly, and you got, like, weird, like, electrical hands fucking in the background. Or even, like, the one that's... Or, or like the one with the arrow steel book is the chimpanzee with the straight edge. That's that's cool. Yeah, it's fucking yeah. All these arts are fucking awesome. This movie's just fucking awesome. If anybody hates this movie, they go fucking die. Fuck you, Mike <laughs> Merriman. <laughs> Let's just assume he hates it. Yeah. <laughs> just because he's not here. Because he didn't want to uh. watch it. <laughs> All right, let's get into the ratings. Let's start with Venom. All right, well, as I said, I have a long history with this movie. I love almost everything about it. I tend to forgive some of its shortcomings, some of its storytelling plot holes and things like that. Her convenient ability, you know, with insects, whatever. It all works for me. Um... And mind you, this is going to be a very stilted score because, you know, I'm giving this my personal rating, which I will fully admit would be a little bit is a little bit higher than if I was trying to give this an objective rating. Like if we were actually trying to like rank Argento movies, I would try to be a little bit more objective. But today, you know, since we're only looking at a small sample of Argento stuff, I'm going to be true to myself and I'm going to say I love this movie, and this movie really, to me, is right there. It's on a par with Deep Red, so 9 out of 10 for me. Nice! Dummy! <laughs> yeah, man, that that's exactly where I'm coming at. Um, it, it's just a batshit fun time at the end of the day. Like, you can't take this one too serious. There's a lot of fantasy elements. There's, a, you know, kind of some far-fetched plot points at the end of the day, but... Like I said, Donald Pleasance is fucking amazing in this. Jennifer Connelly's amazing in this. Their performances and their overall characters and just her overall story arc of her getting in touch with her abilities. I love this film, man. It, it's a fun time. I'm coming 9 out of 10. Matt? Oh, man, this one was a fun-ass watch. Uh, enjoyed it all. I'll probably give this one a 9.5 out of 10. Nice! <laughs> well, yeah, I fucking love this movie, man. Like I said, it's my favorite Argento. Uh, it's fucking dope. That's all I could say. 9.5 out of 10. You know, I don't think it's perfect, like I said, but I fucking love this movie. So that's how I'm rating it. <laughs> you know, and that me- it still makes the Hall of Ironside. <laughs> nice. Nice. You know, so that's all that matters. So play that fucking music. All right, we're going to do it the scanner way. I'm going to suck your brain dry. Everything you are is going to become me. You're going to be with me, Cameron, no matter what. After all, brothers should be close, don't you think? And you know, after that, just play Blade of the fucking Flash of the Blade after that. Fuck it. We'll play the whole song. 
Nice. Yeah, fuck it. We'll just say we got the rights. We play music anyways on this show. We oh, I do fuck. too, brother. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fucking awesome. <laughs> that was a great show, guys. Thank yeah, you was. for that. We got to talk about Deep Red, John Saxon, and a monkey killing people with straight edge razors. <laughs> That's all that matters. <laughs> Venom! I know yes. you're a very busy man. What do you got coming out? All right. I'll try to be quick so as not to bore anybody. But, yeah. Um, Too late. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. First, we'll talk about the Normal Room in Hell shows, of course. I share two of those with Derek. That is the main show, of course, No Room, Mo- No More Room in Hell. We recently recorded an episode where we looked at uh, Italian movies. Duh, big surprise. Uh, Italian Horror Month. So we went ahead and looked at, these were Derek's picks, and we looked at Graveyard Disturbance and House of Clocks, some maybe underappreciated films from uh, Fulci and... uh, Lambaba. 
and and Lamberto Bava. Yes. So uh, check out that. That is available on Dark Discussions and on the other sidecast for our show. Um, it is called Creature Comforts. It's the newest sidecast to the Normal Room in Hell family where we look at creature features specifically. Um, that is, of course, with myself, Derek, and Don and Nelly from the Horror Mafia and uh, what was the other one? Graveyard Shit Podcast. Yeah, the uh, best on show on the No More Room in Hell because Mike Merriman's on it. Right? There you go. Yeah, the only show without Mike. <laughs> uh, currently, episode three is being edited. It will be released before the end of November. It will definitely be our November episode, and then we'll decide what our Christmas episode for December is going to be. We've got some ideas, but that'll come sooner than later. And then the last sideshow for No More Room in Hell is, of course, Fresh Cuts, where that's our weekly show where we look at the newest genre releases every week. On our last episode, we looked at, I believe we looked at The Deep House, uh, which was released about a month ago on VOD. Our latest episode, which actually will get recorded tomorrow, will be on the theatrical release um, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, uh, the reboot of that franchise that's getting some good buzz. But, you know, we'll, we'll see once I haven't actually watched it yet. I'll be watching it tomorrow before we record. So, you know, we'll decide then how that's going to work. You should have did a good movie like Ghostbusters. Fuck you. I, you know, Ghostbusters I would have loved to have done, but, you know, is it really horror? Yes, it's a horror it, comedy. It does have a great yeah. jump scare with fucking Terror mm-hmm. Dog there. Oh, yeah. we. I mean, hey, it all Come looks... on, we get someone that's eviscerated right on screen, even though he's dead. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're trying to part. Fuck you, frip. Yeah. So, so like I said, um, uh, so Resident Evil on the next episode of Fresh Cuts, those always get released on Tuesdays, so look out for that. Uh, my other shows include It's Not Horror Okay, which is a uh, commentary show. Uh, the last episode, we looked at 1981's Dragon Slayer, and I'm not sure what's uh, on the slate for the next episode, but... Uh, look for that also on Dark Discussions. On um, it's not, uh, excuse me. On in the mic of madness, we recently made our triumphant return after Rebecca Reinhardt took the summer off to work on all of her independent film projects. And for our return episode, we did a tribute to 1981. Basically, we came up with 15 categories, like you know, some of your basic categories, like best slasher, best movie killer, best and tentacle then couple- sex. Well, there is a sex category, actually. There, uh, Best death scene during sex. So if, if it's 1981 and you are and you remember all your 81 movies, you probably know the winner of that category. But that's a conversation for another day. Uh, check that out. Uh, once again, that is In the Mic of Madness. That is also on Dark Discussions. On Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, we finally released our latest episode where we looked at um, Gamera versus Baragon and continued our retrospective of the original Ultraman series. And then as far as a couple of guest spots that I wanted to point out, I did uh, yet another appearance on Bo Ransdell's The Dark Parade. This time around, we got to talk about my favorite vampire movie of all time, and that is Let the Right One In from Sweden. Uh, So we had a long discussion about that. Check that one out. Uh, That one, I believe, is not available yet as we speak, but look out for that on the Legion podcast feed. Um, Hopefully, we'll be out in the next week or two. And then the other guest spot I did this month is on R.J. McCready's Bite Size Cinema 
where I got to review for the first time in my podcasting career, Child's Play, the original Child's Play from 1988. I had a nice discussion with RJ about that one. As the title of the podcast indicates, uh, we don't really get too in-depth in it. It's a quick, like, 30 to 40-minute conversation, but... Uh, yeah, check out the latest episode of Bite Size Cinema with myself talking about Child's Play. And that's everything on my plate for now, gentlemen. Uh, go, You can go ahead and wake up now. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding, man. That's good shit, yo. Hey, my mic went out. Can you say all that again? Just yes. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it used to be longer. Remember that first time, Mike? Bad, you're like, what the fuck? Well, yeah, that's when uh, I was like, was a, it's like the podcast never ends. <laughs> blah 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 blah. That, that, that's why I nicknamed the character from Ghostbusters after him, Little Venom Podcast. Oh jeez, ah, uh, that kid was adorable. Little annoying, yeah. but adorable. <laughs> yeah, it's Little Venom. Okay, yeah, I'm adorable and annoying at times too. So yeah, rock on. That fits. Hell, hell yeah, man. <laughs> But no, gentlemen, thank you so much uh, again for having me on. Always a good time to come on here and talk with you guys. This was, as always, a treat. And yeah, anytime you guys need me, want to hear my lovely, silky, smooth voice, just let me know. Hell yeah. Awesome. And you know, the Italian movies we picked for you this time were a lot better than those cannibal movies. Oh, uh, yeah, though, I will say the bad cannibal movies can still be a lot of fun at times. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> I'm not saying they're not. And, uh, you know, we did talk about some of the faults of those movies a lot. Yeah. But, yeah, that was, you know. But what are you going to do? Good stuff. You know, this is the last show of November, guys. That's all that matters. And then we open up the floodgates to Christmas time. Oh, God. Oh, yes. Huh. Wish we were going to figure out what we're going to do. But I say we leave the sh show... With some goblin yes. of Dubby's choosing. Perfect. And it will be memorable. So we'll be back with a new episode, which will probably be Christmas related <laughs> because of the month of December. But we'll see what's going to happen. So we'll see you soon, guys. Goodbye. Peace. Take care, folks.
And as that fucking truck goes by, Optimus Prime. Vin Diesel. (laughs) That's who I always got. (laughs) Family. Well, whenever you fellas are ready. (coughs) I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Is this really two hours and seven minutes? Depends on which version you watch. Mm-hmm. Hmm. If you watch the director's cut, it's two hours and seven minutes. It's on the Arrow Blu-ray. Yeah. If you yeah. watch the one on Shutter, I think that one's an hour and 55 minutes. Yeah, it's the, what's it called? Uh, kind of international cut, I think. Yeah. Which, that's, that's what I watched. I wish yeah, I would have watched my Arrow, but... Yeah, I can tell you the difference. It's pretty, it's kind of obvious what the differences are because most of the scenes that are not in that cut are in Italian. Mm. Makes, Makes sense. sense. Yeah. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> all right. So, you guys ready? Yeah. <clears throat> mm hmm.